0: Please stick around to the end of the show, and we will share how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes or so. In the meantime, let's go. Okay, welcome, everybody, to the Brand Ford Leadership Podcast. I'm Jerry Foster, the big branding guy, also known as the branding evangelist. Oh, my goodness. I have been talking sports with my guest coming up i feel like i've known this guy for years i love when i can meet a fellow hooper now when i say hooper Mm -hmm. i don't know if you play basketball but the guy loves basketball like a lot of other sports and he's from the midwest like me he's an ohio state guy i'm a usc guy that's okay we've Mm -hmm. learned to get along but man this guy is special please welcome to the show michael Rell. michael how are you doing buddy
1: I'm doing great. Yeah, no, I enjoyed it too. Um, no, I, I my my football career lasted longer than my basketball career. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, no, I grew up loving Ohio State. I actually played football at University of Pennsylvania. So I uh, I so but uh, but not a lot of glory days from that. But uh, yeah, no, anything I can talk sports, it's kind of fun. Yeah, and intertwining into business even better. Well, of
0: course, I mean, we're talking yeah. Wharton School of Business, right, at Penn?
1: Yeah, yeah, I was a Wharton undergrad, yeah.
0: Wharton. Oh, my! Oh, so you're yeah. one of the smart guys, yeah. see? So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm just a Marshall USC guy. I got to bow down to Wharton, man. I mean, come uh, on, man. That's, that's, uh, that's the Green Business School. And Penn, one of the great universities in America, and, and um, Franco Harris with the Penn, right? Or was that Penn State?
1: I hate oh, I mean, Penn State. So Benjamin Penn. Franklin founded Penn, so they're right. we'll bringing back right. together. <laughs> <That's> that.
0: <laughs> So, Mike, if you don't mind, please tell our, yeah. our listeners and our viewers exactly what your company does.
1: Yeah, my, I formed my company about six or six, seven years ago Inflection 360. Um, my focus is really strategic work in and around primarily the healthcare arena, healthcare services in particular. But that being said, I work with a variety of companies outside the space, including one which fortunately gets to be in the in the athletic space. So uh, but yeah, and um it's really, uh, you know, it's primarily me and just the way I've chosen to work with companies. Uh, my background is heavy finance. Um, I was an investment banker to start my career and uh, did that for a number of years. Uh, but I also had a marketing degree and, you know, unintentionally fell into the world of healthcare 20 years ago, uh, helped build up a group of surgery centers. So then off I'd be, you know, after, after getting involved in that sector 20 years ago, I was a healthcare guy, and so for the last 20 years, I've either been uh, played the role of uh, you know an executive in a couple of major different, I think three different healthcare companies, or I've been working more independently, <clears throat> providing uh, merger and acquisition consulting, strategic consulting, capital raising, sort of various gamuts of support to uh, other, you know companies depending on sort of need based stuff. But it's 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 morphed over time from where I thought I was going with the business and where it is today.
0: Well, myself as a, as a brand strategist, and I'm a big believer in brand strategy and all things strategic, yeah. so I really have an appreciation for what you do. But I'm curious, in the healthcare industry, in the space yeah. that you're in, what's the biggest problem or challenges that you face for your clients?
1: Yeah, I think that that has changed in and of itself. I, I think um, you know when I started this, the, the reason I even started off on my own, I was uh, actually I'd been at a couple different healthcare companies, most recently, Western Dental, um, heading up acquisitions and recognizing the number of times I was in a deal where if the seller was better prepared, they would have gotten more value out of the deal. So I had leverage as a buyer in that, recognizing that at times they weren't getting the best advice, they weren't well prepared for a, a sale or business. And so that sort of light bulb that if I could work with these groups, I can help them get a a much better exit um, whenever they're looking for it. So that was sort of my mindset. Um, And, and I, that that still holds largely true. It's, it's, a process to get ready to your life's work. You know, even if it's a medical practice, it's, it's a lot, you know, you're, the doctor is the asset or the group of doctors. Um, But how do you prepare for that? And what are you preparing? Not just mentally, but obviously the books and everything else that, and, and, and giving the best presentation to get value. So, that was the challenge that I saw that it's still a challenge now. Um, what I've seen where it's shifted somewhat, because uh, I do have worked with a lot of groups on the private equity side for on-buy opportunities as well, is that there's such a tremendous amount of activity in from um, transactions in in and around healthcare services space that everybody's aware that you know, they want to sell to a private equity, they want to sell to another group at some point. And so, There's just this deluge of company of of potential investment opportunities, but all these doc groups now wanna think they wanna be sold and they think they're they're all worth 10 times multiples because they heard somebody else got one Um, that is nothing like their group whatsoever. So it's you have to re-educate them to their own reality. Hmm. And I think that sometimes is a fun, you know, a little bit of an uphill climb of I know you wanna be worth. $20 million. You're actually worth eight. (laughs) There's like, you can have those disc, you know, that those kind of disconnects, which are challenging. And so I think it is definitely where your, your credibility and experience um, are really heavily come into, come heavily into play here to get them on the right path. If there is a path for them now. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's, it's, it's right sizing their, their their mindset.
0: I got it. I got it. Well, I tell you mergers and acquisitions, that's another area that I have a lot of, Appreciation for it. After I came out of USC grad school uh, with my MBA, I went to work for Procter and Gamble (P and G) uh, in branding, right, brand management. So I was one of those guys. And as you know, growth through acquisition—you could put, you could stamp that on the P and I mean, look at all the companies they bought, and so right. yeah. so many companies. But I'm fascinated though with this in terms of healthcare because I've never right. thought about growth through acquisition in the healthcare industry. Yeah, where's is, where is that trending now?
1: Well, if I just take one industry just to sort of keep it focused from like dental, um, you know, dentals were all right. My dentist for most of my life was somebody in an office building, that yeah. corner, you know, for, hit the elevator, go up. Yeah, my dad know, was a
0: dentist. That's, that's how I could, he could yeah. go, send me to USC. <laughs> yeah.
1: And now you see the world, right? It's, it's you see dentists on, the, you know, every strip mall or, you know, on the corner location, and yeah. dental has become a retail business. And so it's, it's all in, cons- you're not going to see Dr. X or Y, maybe you are, you're going to see, you're going to this dental group. And so you've seen that emergence. And, And once you started turning medicine, whether it's dental, urgent care or other practices now into what is more a retail focused consumer product versus I go to see this specific doctor, it made it that much easier for private equity to go, we can start gobbling this up and just creating value, right? More is more, not even if we're affecting change, but we own one of these or we own a 300 of these, we've got some value propositions. We can certainly leverage it. So these industries have started emerging and like the dental service organizations went from a handful of them out there to the biggest groups in the market have of a thousand locations. And there's several of them um, and many with several hundred. And so either groups, you know, smaller independent groups are looking to get acquired by one of those, or, hey, I have 10 locations and I'm in whatever city. Maybe I can be the next platform that private equity wants to invest in and build from. So those dynamics, I think, has really emerged in the last, you know, over, I'd say slowly over 20 years, but really the last 10 years have been like, you know, a hyperdrive, uh, you know, growth. Um, and and private equity groups that would only invest in huge, bigger groups previously, you've now seen comes, ones that have come to redefining what is a, a middle market transaction, putting in much smaller practices and groups that they would have ever bought five years ago, people are coming into the market to buy now. So it's really created this tremendous amount of momentum. Um, but with that, like I said, comes a lot of information, misinformation. Um, and so it's, it's an interesting space, but it's happening across services in healthcare. You would never imagine behavioral health groups getting bought up and autism groups being bought up and, if you can think of a specialty, whether if if having more than one is better, then somebody's doing it now.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the problem that comes along with that, from my perspective, uh, I've been in the strategic branding field now for 30 plus years. Mm-hmm. I've owned my own brand development and training company for 38 years. I've made branding my life's work. I live and breathe branding. And I'm glad you brought up what's happened in the industry because... Mm-hmm. When I think about all of the dental centers and all the pain management clinics, and like you said, name an area of specialty and it's probably a chain behind it or something. What mm-hmm. I do, what I do not see as a consumer from a branding perspective is how they differentiate themselves. Right. I mean, they're they're almost becoming a giant blur. So from you meant you hit you said a great word a few minutes ago. Value. How are they establishing their value? Because your job to through growth and uh, acquisitions, of course, is to get the best price. Yeah, but that has to pivot on what bringing something to the market so that they are a me only yeah. proposition as opposed to me too or me also. And there's a yeah. whole lot of me too and me also out there, my friend, because they all look like a bunch of penguins in a flock. Don't get me started here. So how do you how do you help overcome that? Because you got to get the best deal.
1: Yeah, I do think that is. Um, I think. You know in you know in the healthcare sector ultimately you know the the footprints they have the locations matter the revenue they have or the the profitability the ebitda the driving matters yeah. um but if it's going to be something hey we're going to build a platform we're going to build off this one group and now scale it up into a large one that's when you go back to value you know the people uh you know and 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 are they able to create a presence i mean there are groups that have been built up tremendously heartland dental is an example where there's their name doesn't appear on any building, but they're the biggest provider in the, in the dental industry. They've let people keep their own practice identities. So there's varying paths to how people choose to operate. Uh, and you know, are we just going to provide value-based services on the back end and let the practices kind of do their thing and market? Or are we going to be a Western dental where we wanna, we're buying it? The name's gonna change to Western dental tomorrow. And you know what's that value proposition, which doesn't align with a lot of things you're buying. So I do think you have to find the right fit as a buyer. Yeah. From a consumer standpoint, it's getting yeah, it's it it becomes challenging to sort of our, our, um, recognize inherently the differences between one group or another. I, I agree with you on that uh, so, to a large so, extent.
0: So, so tell me about yourself in terms oh. of the capabilities you bring as a company, because I'm curious yeah. in terms of how do you help someone find their edge right that's yes. got to be a big part of it in order to to be able to generate high perceived value in the eyes of the buyer or the seller whoever yeah in the midst the Medicare, medicare and all the hmo <laughs> right. and everything else that to to a consumer it's it's just a giant blur
1: yeah i think you know again how my business started and where it is now is a little different so to fast forward to what i'm doing now and how that plays into that question a little bit better is I started recognizing that just doing transactional work, as much as I've done it for a lot of my career, uh, I've also been an operator back in my surgery center world and kind of bringing that back together. I appreciate the inherent difficulties of running one of these things, make it run efficiently, getting the most out of your staff, right? Creating the right patient experience. And so I've gone from just being somebody who was largely doing deals, now flipping it back to the the clients that I currently work with. I'm more heavily engaged on a almost... And one company I'd call myself a, the fractional CFO, another one I'd probably be the fractional chief strategy officer, and another one, <laughs> the, you know, probably the the chief, you know, I've been the chief development officer. So I kind of played different roles. And really what that's looking at is what are the holes in these organizations that are causing them not to really extract the right value. And that that could be that could be that could be externally facing or really could be uh, internal. And I think I've just been, I guess, fortunate um from school to investment banking to the various things i've done in the 30 years since graduating from undergrad is that i've worked in so many different shapes and sizes of organizations that uh my skill set is you know i've got finance accounting and marketing degrees but i don't know what i'm i think it's more life experience and work experience is sort of dictating you know how i see value and added and to be added and um you know i i think it's hard to get peel past you know, spent you know, the spend money to make money sometimes is the right avenue, sometimes it's like recognize the strengths of people. And some of it does come heavily into branding. I've been dealing with one client which has sort of like a little bit of brand identity issues in terms of wanting to market somewhat differently and recognizing that this is the name everyone knows, why you suddenly want to change it because you have a vision of where it's going, but everybody knows you as this. So it's like be this, because this is that's what people are looking for. No one's looking for that. And 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 recognizing how you can have, you know, you can get off track with the vision and bring it back to what's going to actually, what's actually driving business and what's, you know, losing name recognition.
0: I like that because that core competency of yours blends in with what I do because my forte is how to brand services. Yeah. James, you know, it's very different than how to brand a visible tangible item. For For a lot of these service providers, one of the things I always tell them is, well, you have to make the decision. Do you want to show up as a service provider or do you want to show up as a brand, a bona fide brand, which means going beyond simply having a logo, a website, and things that people can see? And so what I found is that for a lot of service providers, because my 4K and my sweet spot are working with professionals and coaches and mm-hmm. experts in that whole crowd, is that they don't truly know where their points of distinction lie. Because a lot of them think that their competency and their dis- distinctiveness are the things that make them admirable such as their resume or credentials or trainings and all of that stuff as opposed to what makes them unique so i'm curious is that something that you help them find because a lot of these folks are so hung up on their what their credentials they don't understand yeah. how the strategically, from a branding standpoint establish yeah. such unrivaled value that they're swimming in that blue ocean market space that i'm sure you're aware of out there looked upon as a one-of-a-kind brand what do you do michael they need you man <laughs>
1: yeah, there's only so much of me uh, <laughs> but uh but no you're right i mean like i said this is going back to the same example it's like you have they you know here's a company has a, a, a in their space a very good name recognition ties to exactly the service they provide people knew them and let's start marketing as a different name and you're like why you know like you know if you're, if you're getting out just choosing not to say their names right but it's like if you're known as this and it ties exactly to what you're doing and what you're actually trying to sell why would you go to something that's so generic that nobody nobody knows what you are anymore and you've you've built years of a reputation and credibility like so just as much as trying to build a brand like why would you get take away the brand you've already built uh, you know, and we've seen you, know, you probably can think of a hundred more examples of companies that destroyed themselves by trying to do something creative, either by a, a logo shift or even worse, a brand name change that meant nothing. And so, um, you no, know, I I I think what I've learned of my this point in my career is like being the I'm I'm gonna give you an answer whether you like it or not. And so you can take my opinion, you can disregard it. It's your company. But I'm going to give you the tough answers that maybe there are the people in the room that work for you on a day, you know, have been working for you for years are afraid to give you. And I think it's that, that, that little bit of that nice ability to have been an outsider and to come in and come in politely strong at times and, and sort of reorient them back to where they need to go or recognize when there's opportunities that are being missed and how are you not, you know, how, how do we play into those and really, well, absolutely, yeah. because.
0: Exactly, because if they, if they want to do any kind of rebranding, one of the things that I tell companies, uh, even solopreneurs, is all you're really doing is hitting the reset button. You're just going to re-engineer, re engineer, retool, revamp, re-engine- reimagine what it is that you've been doing, which does not require a name change. Because to your point, they've built equity in that yeah. you don't lose that. So I shift in more towards, well, let's look at how to best position you. Maybe you need a repositioning in the marketplace, occupying space that nobody is, that you can put into the mind of your ideal target audience and be able to provide value in a way nobody else can. And all of a sudden they go, oh, that sounds interesting. Yeah, you might want to think about that. Because as you know, in branding, you either either, uh, uh, create something new or you make something better. Yeah. Right, and so so the, once all that stuff is, is figured out, then we feed it to the marketing person like you, and then bam, bring it to life, get those leads, get those yeah. conversions, build up that value, man. The, because the branding yeah. is going to get you known, so marketing can get you found,
1: right? Oh, I mean,
0: it, I mean <laughs> I'm gonna get an
1: amen, right?
0: They call me the brand <laughs> evangelist. I, mean, <laughs> I
1: know that was perfect. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you're talking to someone who's yeah. Uh, like I said, I've made this my life's work, and uh, yeah. I was an adjunct professor of branding marketing and advertising, 10 straight years, four major universities, evenings, and weekends, so I'm kind of nerdy when it comes to this stuff, but let's switch gears yeah. for a second. Tell us, for our listeners and our viewers out there, is there, is, who is the ideal prospect for you, the ideal candidate, the ideal client? Who do you wish to serve?
1: Well, I, for me, I, yeah, what, what I think has been, if I think about sort of the clients that I'm currently working with or ones that I have worked with in the last couple of years, I realized that there's so many differences between them. But what I think I really, the common thread that I think that sort of uh, exists between them is um, tend to be, you know, again, mostly, you know, physician led or, 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 or uh, you know, clinically oriented people just cause that's a sector where I have my expertise. So it's obvious, but people who've really, you know, built, um, are, are really imp- their credibility, their reputation has, has preceded them. They've really built up something where it has value. They've, they've either built the brand that has some value or they themselves have been somebody that, you know, people, uh, gravitate towards, you know, professionally. So something that I think would be a lot of fun to work with basically that I think, uh, who's receptive, who, but my favorite component is, and I learned that in the first meeting, is do they think they know everything, or do they admit that they don't know everything? You know, the ones who are going to admit that they don't know, the ones who tell me they know, you know, they know have all the right answers, I'm just not interested because they'll just they're they're not receptive to the change. That they think they want change, but they don't really want to take it in. Um, I you know, so whether the challenge is operational or preparing to sail or really thinking about strategic growth. I'll look at all of those things for me. I like I like things that are challenging and unique, but I'd like to go in and tinker and figure out, You know, are you going to let me get my hands dirty a little bit in the business to really understand it and really help you move forward? Yeah. Because if I don't really understand the business, I can't add the same level of value. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who can go do a deal or do a transaction if that's what somebody's thinking about. I mean, it does take a certain skill set, but there's a lot of people with that skill set. I don't think there's a lot of people who've spent as much time as an operator as I have, and doing. this. So I played in both sandboxes uh, for enough points in my career that I really understand. It's not just financial management; that there's operational shifts, and there's real people involved. And so, I like to just be able to get engaged enough, um, and have, you know, with whether it's the CEO or you know a couple of members of the of the major you know the team. To really be able to drive some results and make sure that we're going to be actionable and so yeah my my perfect model is just somebody who says like you know what i kind of gone as far as i can go right now i think i want to do something else i know i need somebody to help me get there and my business could probably be you know and and open to my business could actually it's not just about doing a deal it's about actually how can i function make my business perform better because that's going to make the right deal um I mean, the merchant's acquisitions, I mean, I I wish I could say in my career that every time I work on a deal, it gets closed. I feel like you know, M- <laughs> M&A is about failed transactions and once in a while they go through, I mean, so many deals never happen, like right? the buyer's not, walks away, the seller wasn't really ready or I've had deals on the table and like last minute the seller goes, hey, no. Huh?
0: And your fee yeah. is contingent upon that deal closing.
1: Well, I've changed that over the years. So. Okay. Um, yeah. No, no. <laughs> i have lived that i'll get it on the back end and that's 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 a rough that's that's, a that's rough, tough sledding man. um so, uh i i yeah so hard i've hard done hard. some of that at least something along the way with you know hey look we're our, we're all targeting the big end end result here but um yeah. uh and others are just more intertwined, you know intertwined in the dailies so i do think that that transaction is so many fall apart for one reason or another that you want to be working on building your business um and positioning it for ultimate success, whether that's an exit or continued growth. And I think deals are gravy. Like if you can make a a transaction happen that you like, that's amazing. But um, I like to at least walk away and go, okay, you now report your financials differently. You now have made these shifts. You've increased the, you know, you fixed your billing department. Oh, now you don't want it. And we can still sell it or you don't have to. So I kind of work, I feel like a consultant and a financial uh, advisor at the same time smacked together, I feel like.
0: Well, Michael, I can imagine you have a ton of client success stories. My impression of you is that you are a rock star, you are a master, you are an expert. You've got the background warden the whole nine yards. Is there one particular client success story that you are particularly proud of that you'd like to share with our audience?
1: Well, I like the one that ties into the sports world. It's just... uh... (laughs) You know, it's, it's in the, uh, it, it's, it's a company called Firefly, uh, recovery oh. in the athletic recovery space. Um, okay. somebody I knew, uh, uh sort of, uh, from the business, from business, uh, several years ago, um, came across a product and said, Hey, I think I want to see if I can start selling. This it was already in the medical device space. And I said, if it turns into a real business, call me up. And about five years ago, four years ago, my phone rang and said, I think this is going to be a real business. And, um, was already selling product to that point to teams like USC, all right, sitting there on your, your desk. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, been very involved in helping support the growth of that business. Um, you know, from my working on inter- now we're working on international expansion and help them sort of on that journey and path. Uh, so went from being a uh, a product sold to a couple teams to having over 500 teams across probably most of these teams around here buy product from from the company um, and growth is you know, just by leaps and bounds, but helped, you know, sort of find the right marketing person to come in to really handle the day-to-day. Came from Nestle, not PG, not P&G, but came from Nestle. Was a, Nestle's yeah,
0: a great company.
1: Oh, marketing, yeah. A marketing guru to grow the consumer side. So that is really a business that was like a fun business to sort of get involved with. And so a place where I knew I'd want to keep my involved, keep engaged. But the growth that the business is having has been really fun to be part of. And wow. the team is great. And, you know, the future is kind of being rewritten, uh, you know, you know, as things come about. And uh, so, yeah, from now 500 plus teams, pro and college buying a product, but consumers buying it left and right. And so it was a little, you know, a little nothing business, more of a dream that now is it's it's a real company. And so to be part of that journey has been a lot of fun.
0: And you put that deal together
1: well then, you know that was just a, it was a handshake deal actually it oh, was nice. just hey we're gonna start selling the product and then, and then it came wow. into Let, let's formalize your agreements let's get real agreements in place to be a global licensor of the brand and so oh. it was, it was soon you know and and now building up all that you know the market presence oh, of doing God. it by you know strategic blocking and tackling so oh, that's
0: that's, awesome. Woo.
1: that's been fun um Man. yeah
0: so how do people connect with you for people who are tuning in if they sure. want to learn more or see if they are a viable candidate or prospect for your company, what are your socials? What's your URL? Huh. How do people get a hold of you?
1: My website is inflection, not infection, but inflection360.com. <laughs> Started with dealing with people at an inflection point of what to do with their business. Are we, you know, should I grow, sell, whatever? So the inflection point. So inflection360. But um, LinkedIn. If people hit me up on LinkedIn, that's probably one of the best ways to hunt me down. Um, so.
0: We'll spell your last name, please.
1: It's R O U B. Michael Raub. So uh-huh. yeah, hunt me down on LinkedIn, and uh yeah, happily, I love to hear people's stories as well. So whether I'm, hey, I may not be the right fit, but I love to, you, you know, you know, my world, it's which like probably many of the people listening, it's um, you, you have to give a lot of advice before you find the right people that you actually want to work with, and it yeah. is establishing credibility, and I think it's. Part of the process. At least I enjoy that. I love learning about what people are doing, and whether that's something I can help or not, or 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 have time to help. It sort of just depends. But even when I say I don't want to do something else, sometimes things come along and they're just too tantalizing to pass up. So I get involved in some pretty fun. You know, every now and again, involved in some pretty fun stuff. So now I'm always interested in you know being a value add to you know well, you an entrepreneur are- or a C-suite person, whoever it might be. Yeah. Oh.
0: Yeah. But yeah. well, listen, you are awesome, my friend. And before we sign off. Up- is there one last message or one last thing that you would like to see, like to say to our audience?
1: Yeah. I, well, I, I think for my own benefit is that, you know, I, I started this, I started my career on one path. I, yeah, and then I I've made those shifts multiple times. I started my own business with a view on what it would be and in five years. It's changed dramatically from being transactionally oriented to much more hands-on strategic stuff. And I think it's—I think that's the nature of uh, trusting my, you know, trusting your own skill set and uh, figuring things out along the way, and and not being afraid of taking on a challenge, but rather you know, thriving by those opportunities to go down new paths. You know, I'm getting older, but I'm still liking the learning process. So uh, you know, just keep keep seeking challenges. I think that's where you find the most opportunities.
0: That's great. Yeah. Uh, and that now to our. To our audience, that's sage advice there. That's wisdom that he just shared. Those words, that was golden. Well, thank you, my friend. Uh, You are a great guy. You are obviously making a difference. You personify what my podcast is about which, about, which is Brand Forward Leadership, because you are demonstrating what it means to be a leader in your space, in your area of specialties. Thank you again for being here today.
1: Yeah, Jerry, thanks. I appreciate it.
0: And to our audience, thank you for tuning in. So until next time, this is Jerry Foster, the big branding guy, also known as the branding evangelist, signing off. Take care. Jerry Foster here. Thank you so much for listening to my Brand Forward Leadership Podcast. Now, if you, if you, are a successful, service-based entrepreneur yourself, and you've got amazing expertise. I mean services, skills, talents, and abilities that you offer through your company or yourself, and you've been in business for 5, 10 years or more, and you would like to be a guest on this program, I would love to have you. Simply visit jerryfosterbranding.com forward slash brand forward leadership forward slash apply and I will certainly check you out and get to know you and so on and so forth. Now, let me just add a couple of other things. Number one, if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media for me? And if so, just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on your socials, okay? And number two, if you know someone that you feel would be a great guest, someone that I should meet and connect with and so on and so forth, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag brand leadership because i love seeing your posts i love guest suggestions that's how we all grow that's how we all connect and make it through this world which are through our relationships and our connections and lastly let me throw this in we are regularly putting out new episodes and content i'm always on the lookout for not only great guests but great content and so therefore because we're always putting great new stuff out juicy stuff make sure you don't miss any episodes in the future so please go ahead and subscribe and i also love what i love support i love love (laughs) so your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team so if you can find it in your heart to go ahead and show me that kind of support and love, I would really appreciate it. And on a second note, if you would like to know more about me, the work that I do, simply go to my website at jerryfosterbrandy.com or follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook at JerryFosterBrandy or Instagram at Jerry Foster Big Brand Man. Okay, Jerry Foster, Big Brand Man. Again, thanks for listening. Until we see you the next time, take care.